0: Well, open your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus chapter 9. Exodus chapter 9. We'll read the first seven verses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and tell him, Thus says Yahweh, God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, and on the sheep. There will be a very severe pestilence. And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. Then the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died. But of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed, not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise You for the privilege of union with Christ. Father, help us to commune with Him in this sermon, to know Him better as the one who plagued Egypt. Father, we thank You for the privilege of knowing Your blessing because You bless Your Son and we are in Your Son. Help us, therefore, to listen to His Word tonight, we pray. Help me to preach it boldly. And help us all to value more the privilege of union with Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was talking to someone once about his participation in church. And I just started listening to him the things that being in church had done for him. Just purely even in financial terms, even aside from the intangible and spiritual benefits. And by the time I was through, even I was rather impressed. I hadn't realized that this fellow seemed genuinely moved. Why did I talk about that? Well, simply this, the principle that's here and that's throughout Scripture is that principle of solidarity that I just mentioned. To be affiliated with the people of God is to call down God's blessing on yourself. And contrary, to be opposed to the people of God is to call down God's cursing on yourself. A lot, as we see, becomes very rich just by traveling around with Abraham. He's affiliated with the people of God. He's not a particularly godly man. He was righteous, according to Peter. He vexed his soul living in Sodom, but he still moved to Sodom. He had no concept of discipling his daughters away from the mores of Sodom. And yet God still blessed Lot and made him so rich that he and Abraham could no longer dwell together. Well, here in Exodus, we see the curse that lies on Pharaoh, it's carried out not against the person of Pharaoh, but against the livestock of Egypt. The plague smites them because our hard hearted sin brings pain on our animals too. If you're ahead over anything a family, an institution, a department, a business, And you persist in your sin as Pharaoh persisted in his sin. You bring death and destruction on the people within that institution, that department, that family. It happened here, of course, in all the plagues as Egypt suffers for Pharaoh's intransigence. But it's marked more than ever here because it's strictly the animals who suffer. Moses comes, he reiterates the demand, let my people go that they may serve me. Again, if you know nothing about Exodus, you know that because it's repeated over and over and over. It's a very memorable command, and Moses comes and says it for a fifth time. When you serve Yahweh, you're blessed. When you serve sin, The consequences spread out all around you. Well, God adds the threat, if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, the hand of the Lord will be on cattle, horses, donkeys, camels, oxen, and sheep. Half a dozen kinds of domesticated animals. Pretty much everything the Egyptians relied on. In terms of our own era, if we took out the camels and the donkeys and we substituted instead the pigs and the chickens, the list would be fairly complete. How would you like to go through your life for the next several months with nothing that came from any cattle, pig, chicken? Change our diets pretty dramatically. But in addition to this, there's not just a strike at Egypt's diet or even at its production. Obviously, animal muscle power was very important in those days. But at least in Genesis, the end of Genesis, Joseph has alienated all of the land from the ordinary Egyptian people. The only landowners in Egypt at this point are Pharaoh and the priestly caste. Everyone else has sold their real property to Pharaoh in exchange for food back in the time of Joseph. So there's at least a chance here that in addition to losing the the labor of the animals and the wealth of the animals, these are the only real property that belongs to the ordinary Egyptian. So this threat, in one sense, is not just against the animals, it's against the entire capital stock Of Egyptians you can imagine converting your entire net worth into flocks and herds becoming a stockman you run them all on land leased from the government and God says I'm killing all of that right stranded assets nobody wants a camel that's been dead and sitting in the Sun for three days You just can't sell that thing. And that's where Egypt is going to be. God is revealing to Egypt that if they're in solidarity with Pharaoh, they will experience the curse that Pharaoh has earned for himself. He's teaching them once more this truth of the covenant head. If Pharaoh is your covenant head and he hardens his heart and won't listen to the Lord... You suffer. You lose everything. You die. The animals will suffer death because Pharaoh is so intransigent. Nonetheless, God promises safety for Israel's livestock. The Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. Nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. The lesson is pretty simple and easy to follow. If you're affiliated with Yahweh, you inherit life. And that life spills over to your animals too. If you're affiliated with Pharaoh, you inherit death. And that death spills over to your animals too. God works in households, he works in families, he works in groups and in nations. Then that's a basic lesson that this fifth plague teaches us. If you're part of a land that's blessed, you get blessed even if you personally are rotten. If you're part of a nasty family, you inherit something of that curse even if you personally are a straight arrow. And don't do the things that your family does. The cattle in Goshen weren't better cattle. They were simply cattle who belonged to Israel. That's the Christian message. Not that we're better people. We're simply people who belong to Jesus. I'm blessed because I'm united to Christ. Right. The Christian message is never, I'm blessed because I'm better than you. And you stick your fingers in your ears, and stick your tongue out, and neener, neener. That's not the Christian message. And insofar as the world thinks that's the Christian message, we're failing to communicate it. So God communicates it very clearly. Egypt's cattle die because they're affiliated with Pharaoh. Israel's cattle live because they're affiliated with the people of God. So I said Luther said so many good things in his 1520 little work on the freedom of a Christian. And his meditations on union with Christ are just profound. He writes this, "The great third incomparable grace of faith is this, that it unites the soul to Christ as the wife to the husband, by which mystery as the apostle teaches, Christ and the soul are made one flesh." Now, if they are one flesh, and if a true marriage, nay, by far the most perfect of all marriages, is accomplished between them, for human marriages are but feeble types of this one great marriage, then it follows that all they have becomes theirs in common, as well good things as evil things. So that whatsoever Christ possesses, that the believing soul may take to itself and boast of as its own. Whatever Christ possesses, the believing soul takes to itself and boasts of as its own. And whatever belongs to the soul, that Christ claims as his. Okay, Luther, what does Christ have? He writes, if we compare these possessions, we shall see how inestimable is the gain. Christ is full of grace, life, and salvation. The soul is full of sin, death, and condemnation. Let faith step in and then sin, death, and hell will belong to Christ and grace, life, and salvation to the soul. For if he is a husband, he must needs take to himself that which is his wife's and at the same time impart to his wife that which is his. For in giving her his own body and himself, how can he but give her all that is his? And in taking to himself the body of his wife, how can he but take to himself? all that is hers. And this has displayed the delightful sight not only of communion and of a prosperous warfare, but also of victory, salvation, and redemption. For since Christ is God and man and is such a person as neither has sinned nor dies nor is condemned, nay, cannot sin, die, or be condemned. And since His righteousness, life, and salvation are invincible, eternal, and almighty, when I say such a person by the wedding ring of faith takes a share in the sins, death, and hell of his wife. Nay, makes them his own and deals with them no otherwise than as if they were his, and as if he himself had sinned. (coughs) And when he suffers, dies, and descends to hell, that he may overcome all things. And since sin, death, and hell cannot swallow him up, they must needs be swallowed up by him in stupendous conflict." For His righteousness rises above the sins of all men. His life is more powerful than all death. His salvation is more unconquerable than all hell. That's union with Christ. Christ takes to Himself all our negatives, all our sin, all our death. And He gives us all His perfection, all His righteousness, all His life. That message was foreshadowed. It may have been hard for Joe Israelite as he's walking to work to look at the fields on either side of the road and say, Ooh, it stinks today. That's a lot of dead camels. Pharaoh's stables are not going to be fun to clean out if they wait much longer. But the message was all over those fields dotted with dead cattle and bloating sheep. God judges those in solidarity with Pharaoh. And the flip side then, God blesses those in solidarity with him. Luther goes on, Who then can value highly enough these royal nuptials? Who can comprehend the riches of the glory of this grace? Christ, that rich and pious husband, takes as a wife a needy and impious harlot, redeeming her from all her evils and supplying her with all his good things. It is impossible now that her sins should destroy her, since they have been laid upon Christ and swallowed up in him, and since she has in her husband Christ a righteousness which she may claim as her own, and which she can set up with confidence against all her sins, against death and hell, saying, If I have sinned, my Christ, in whom I believe, has not sinned. All mine is his, and all his is mine. The Gospel message. Spelled out in dead donkeys. The death that came to Egypt was Pharaoh's death. The life that came to Israel was the life rightly belonging to the firstborn son of God. And God has already identified as Israel back in chapter 4. Israel is my son, my firstborn, therefore let them go. And that theme will come up again as we move toward the tenth plague and the death of the firstborn son. Christ takes us to himself as his people and therefore yes when we sin when we say wow I have been hard hearted my family has suffered from my sin my church has suffered from my sin my department at work my small business has suffered from my sin but Christ's righteousness swallows up and forgives my sin. And in him, I'm blessed, my family is blessed, my workplace is blessed, my church is blessed. That's the message. (coughs) Right, if the Israelites came back home to Goshen, as they crossed that border and saw all the cattle still alive in the fields, they should not go home saying, wow, we are good people. It's just astonishing how much better we are than our Egyptian neighbors. I can hardly believe it sometimes. That's not the message that God was sending. The Lord makes a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So God carries it out the next day. The livestock of Egypt die. And the children of Israel's livestock, not one died. Right On a typical day, there's some death loss. Some certain percentage of your animals will die. If we think about Gillette, a certain number of people in our town die every day. There's just going to be some who die every day because we live in a cursed, fallen world. God arranged it that on this particular day, there were no animal casualties anywhere in Goshen. They all lived. Well, Pharaoh sends a blue-ribbon commission of livestock experts over to Goshen to check. He has to see if Moses was telling the truth, because that would be quite a propaganda coup if they could go to Goshen and find a dead cow somewhere behind a shed. Or if they could manage to watch a camel perish. They can't find anything. As much as they would like to inflate the death numbers for Pharaoh... They have to come back to the palace and say all the Israelite animals are still alive. Probably not a fun message to deliver to Pharaoh at this point in his life. So Pharaoh learns the truth. He knows that in solidarity with him is death. And in solidarity with God's people under Moses there is life. So what does he do? He promptly ignores it. The heart of Pharaoh became hard and he did not let the people go. I bring death on my people. I bring death on my animals. Guess I'll keep doing what I'm doing. What kind of person does that? The answer, of course, is every person barring the grace of God to soften their heart and to open their eyes to the truth that apart from Christ is death. We talked about this last Sunday morning, Psalm 2. The nations imagine a vain thing. What is the vain thing they imagine? Primarily, not delusions of throwing off Christ. They don't think of it in terms of the stick, but rather in terms of the carrot. We can live a good life without reference to God. We don't need Christ to have human flourishing. That's the vain thing that the nations imagine. That's the vain thing that Pharaoh imagines here. Egypt can have a good livestock industry without the blessing of God. Don't ignore the truth that you know of union with Christ and salvation in him. Pharaoh knew that the truth was that God could take every life in Egypt if he so chose. Pharaoh hardens his heart against that truth, does his best to ignore it, suppress it, put it out of his mind. He makes his heart heavy with unrighteousness and refuses to let the people go. Are your animals well taken care of? Are you living in a way that will attract blessing to your family, your church, your department, your workplace? Are you united to Christ by faith? That is, when you hear what Luther says about being the wife of Christ, you say, yes, that's me. His righteousness has swallowed up my unrighteousness. His forgiveness has conquered my sin. His blessing has overcome the curse of Adam. Pharaoh brought death on the livestock of Egypt through his stubbornness. And you will bring death on your family if you refuse to deal with your sin, if you insist on hardening your heart and pursuing whatever it is. But in Christ, the principle of blessing spilling out on the people around you comes to perfection. If you know Him, if you abide in Him, if you remain with Him, union and communion with Him in grace and glory, you will live, your children will live, your animals will live. It's not to say that there's never death around God-fearers. Obviously there is. It's all over Scripture. What's the point that death is swallowed up in victory? Death does not have the final word for those who know Jesus, the one who came out of the grave. Through Christ, it was more than animals who were blessed. It's people too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for that union with Christ that you have granted to us. That we have been baptized into your Son, placed into him, united to him, really and mystically. Lord, help us to live as those united to Christ. Help us to seek the blessing that comes from being in him knowing Him and obeying Him. Let grace reign through righteousness leading to life in the life of this congregation. Father, we know that death still stalks this world and that godly saints die all the time. Give us confidence in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Help us to remain in union with Christ and know that in Him, death is already beaten. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.